0: Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Make some noise if you're excited to be here. All right. I am too. Will you stand to your feet if you participated in Disciple Now in any way? All right. You were a host to You donated food. You led worship. You were a student. Let's give these guys a round of applause. You guys can sit down. I'm so proud of you. And I just want to say, church, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Hughes, and I serve here as our youth pastor with 180. And thank you, thank you, thank you for all that this church does to invest in young people, children and youth, because lives are being changed as a result. And our students through this weekend, we had around 108 host homes for 48 hours. And on one hand, that is an amazing spiritual accomplishment of what God has done. And on the other, does that make anyone else a little tired? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So if I nod off during this message, um, just feel free to throw something up this way. But I'm so thankful for what God has done in the lives of our teenagers. And we couldn't have that happen without your amazing generosity and your faithful service. If you have a Bible or your mobile app where you read the Word of God, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. As you're making your way there, let me give you some history and context of what's going on in Acts. Acts was written by Luke, who was a medical doctor. Luke gives us the very earliest context of what's going on with the New Testament church, folks who believe in Jesus. And we can learn much from this. I invite you to stand as you're able as we look at Acts chapter 4. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, so was Caiaphas. John, Alexander, and those of the high priest's family, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for this act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. ...whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, and salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man had been healed, was standing there with them, there was nothing they could do." So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. Verse 17, But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go, but they could not decide how to punish them, for all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. In verse 23, with a subheading, the believers pray in my Bible, says this. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, before you have a seat, I want you to know our theme for Disciple Now was unleashed. I want you to touch three people and say, God's about to unleash something in here. Have a seat. In this message this morning, I want to give you three things that God wants unleashed in your life and in our church. The first is amazing boldness. If you're taking notes on our mobile app where you can click on weekend, uh, take those notes and then email it to yourself, you can look there or your uh, bulletin also has uh, those handouts as well. Amazing boldness. The word you're looking for is boldness. One of the dominant themes from the book of Acts is unquestionably the theme of boldness. In fact, when you look at the results, they're extremely bold. I mean, you see miracle, 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 miracle. And I used to ask myself, why do we not see these miracles in our world, or at least our country today, like we did in the book of Acts? And I believe most likely it's because we don't have the bold faith that led to the bold actions and bold spiritual results that they had at that time. So that led me to ask this question, where does that bold faith come from? And I want you to take this home with you. Write it down. Put it in your notes. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. What do you believe today? What you believe will determine how you behave. Listen, if you believe everyone's going to criticize you, you're going to behave really cautiously, really, really tentatively. If you believe uh, that, that you're going to fail, you're probably going to venture out in whatever you're venturing very cautiously in a reserved manner. If, though, you believe that the one true Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, is calling you, leading you, equipping you, and empowering you, you will live with an amazing boldness. And I believe that's the boldness that God calls us to live as a church. Why is that? Because boldness is behavior born out of belief. Something else I want us to take home with us this morning, church, is this idea. That God uses and gives Ordinary people, extraordinary boldness. Take your finger like this, point to your chest over and over, and say, I am ordinary. ordinary. We are all ordinary. And we see something from Peter in Acts chapter 4 that really resonates with me. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Peter. He was a guy who was often characterized with bold intentions that were followed by timid actions. The stories go on and on. One of the most well-known stories, Peter says to Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'm your man. I'll follow you. Well, Jesus says to him, as you know, before this day ends three times, not once, twice, but three times, you'll deny me. Peter says, oh, no, no, not going to happen, not going to happen. Well, in one of these three times, Peter denies Jesus even in front of a little girl. Bold intentions followed by timid actions. Raise your hand if that sometimes describes your life as well. Yeah, it does, all of us. But here's the deal. When Jesus died, was crucified, dead, and buried, and was resurrected, three days later he appeared to Peter, and he says this, you can read about it all in John chapter 21, and Jesus essentially says this to Peter, he says, you are forgiven, it's all good. He says, you're still on the team, you're reinstated, you're going to play, you're not going to sit on the bench. Go out, be bold, minister to my people, take care of my sheep, and serve the people that I've called you to. And something like a switch flipped inside of good old Peter. All of a sudden, this guy who was once timid and shy and fearful, he went and he stood before this group of people. And he preached one of the boldest messages in history. You want to know his opening line? He looked at him and he said, You are a corrupt generation. (laughs) How about an opener, right? Way to just ease into the message there, Peter. Way to go. Apparently, he didn't learn that in his preaching class that that's not where you start. Uh, But he said after that these words. Not only are you corrupt, but you need to turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sins. Trust Christ. Be baptized. Be forgiven. Well, what happened that day is 5,000 people put their faith in Christ on that day. In preaching world, we call that not a bad day. Not a bad day. And what happened is the New Testament Christian church is born and it just explodes from the faith of this man. He and John were walking along one time and we see this in Acts chapter 4 where they they pass this man who's begging at the temple gate and he's asking for money and they say, you know, Silver and gold we do not have, but what we have is Jesus. And this man who had been lame, now not uncool, but unable to walk, he had been lame, is sitting there at the gate. And they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he did. Man, what an awesome thing. All of a sudden, this stirs all kinds of controversy. People are going, whoa, what's going on? And the religious leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, picture Religious in the sense that they like to judge other people but not look at themselves. They're gathering and they say, gather up Peter and John. Bring them to my office. So Peter and John are sitting there and they, they circle them up. You can picture the religious Sanhedrin. They've got their long robes. They've got their jewelry, i assume. And they're, they're just questioning them, throwing out questions back and forth, just bantering these things, just firing questions at them. And, and what happens is they have a choice, you see. They can beat Peter and John, they can imprison them, or they can kill them. And they're deciding on their fate, and they ask a question. By what name and what authority do you do this? Can you picture the smug attitude here? These religious folks gathered around, and Peter and John are in the middle, and, and they answer this in Acts 4.8. I love it. Check it out. Here it is. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, so it wasn't his power, but it was the power of God. Peter said to them, rulers and elders of our people who are being or questioning, because we've done this good deed for a crippled man, do you want to know why he was healed and how he was healed? Do you want to know? And in verse 10, we see this. He says, let me clearly state. Now, I love sometimes when the Bible just adds a couple extra words. Because the Bible could have said, let me just tell you, let me state. But it says, let me clearly state. And what I get out of that is is that, that they wanted everyone to know. And they wanted to speak with amazing boldness and clarity. So not only would the Sanhedrin know, but all the people of Israel. They say he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And then they add this, the man you crucified, but God raised from the dead. Talk about powerful and amazing boldness. Wow. He doesn't hold back. He's not shy. He says, let me clearly state to you, and not just you, but all the people Of Israel, that this man was healed in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Now, do you think that Peter had to believe this that day? Do you think he had to believe? Of course he did, because boldness is behavior born out of belief. And I love the response we see in Acts 4.13, where the members of the council were what? They were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John because they were unschooled, ordinary men. Church, what can we gather here? Time with Jesus will make you spiritually bold. Do you need more spiritual boldness in your schools, young people? Do you need more spiritual boldness in your workplace? Do you need more spiritual boldness to speak to a neighbor or a relative or a friend? Time with Jesus will increase your spiritual boldness. And the opposite is true. Do you want to be bold for Jesus? Spend time with him. Get to know his word. Church, I'm praying that God would, would allow this to rise up in all of us, that we would have an amazing boldness, that we would be outspoken. The Greek word translated as boldness here is the word paresia. And this word literally means more than just speaking. It's not just speaking. It's an outspokenness. It's an assurance. It is courage. It's confidence, church. And what it is, it's the ability to act without fear. Raise your hand if you'd like to act without fear. All of us would. To act without fear. I'm praying that God would do that in us, in every person that calls this place church home that God would make us outspoken, that we would have courage, that we would be faithful to follow God and to listen to him and be not afraid to be bold as he leads each and every one of us. If we have that kind of assurance and courage and confidence, what might happen in our city? What might happen in our world? Boldness is behavior born out of belief. How's your belief today? Maybe it affects your boldness. Behavior And belief go together. And today, I believe that God wants to unleash an amazing boldness in you. Maybe you've been timid. Maybe you've been passive. God wants you to be bold. He wants you, when you get up from this place and leave, to have an amazing boldness. The second thing that God wants to unleash in your life and in our church are passionate prayers. The word you're looking for in the blank there is prayers. You know, I believe if we were honest, most of us would say that we're, we're pretty timid and we pray these, these passive prayers. You know, God help me, help me get through this day. Thank you for this food. Give us, give us traveling mercies, that kind of thing. And in fact, I think God sits wherever he sits, um, Starbucks or wherever, and he hears these prayers that we pray. And he says, come on, challenge me a little bit. I'm like the creator of all this stuff. Give me a little bit more than just bless my day and bless this chicken sandwich. Give me something a little bit more, maybe a challenge. Give us something. And I just think that that God is, is sitting there, sometimes even bored by our prayers maybe. God needs to give us that ability and we need to trust him for that. To move beyond these timid passive prayers and instead pray passionate prayers over the people in our lives. You've got people in your life who are far from Jesus, who are making decisions that that they need to turn around and do a 180 and turn away from those things. There are things in our world that break your heart, and God wants you to turn those things into passionate prayers and ask him to do something and find a way to be used by God to make a difference in our world. I just believe that what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. What you pray for reflects what you believe about God. What have you prayed for this week? What have you prayed for in the last month? Does your belief about God line up with what you're asking him to do? Or is it timid? Are you shy? Are you passionate? I believe that God wants to turn passive, timid prayers into passionate prayers. What you pray for reflects what you believe about God. So let's go back to Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin here in Acts 4. They're circled by the Sanhedrin. They say, by what name and what authority are you doing these things? Now, remember, we've already covered this. They say, let me state clearly, not just to you, but to all the people in Israel. The name and authority is by Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. In other words, they're full out, full on bold. These religious leaders could have imprisoned them. They could have beat them. They could have killed them. But here's the problem, you see. There was a crippled man who couldn't walk for 40 years and the whole city saw this man get up and walk. And see church, I believe that he didn't just walk. I believe he did a little jig. I think the boy danced. I think he was doing the Texas two-step or the jitterbug. I think he was moving a little bit, wouldn't you? You haven't moved for 40 years and there's this power that comes over you. Suddenly you can walk. I don't think he was just going on a little stroll. I think the boy was running. I think he was dancing. Because this power of God met him where he was. So against their own wishes, the Sanhedrin realized they have to release Peter and John. Let's pick up the story in Acts 4.23 with this. On their release, Peter and John go back to their own people. So they go back to the Christians. And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They would have said this. The Bible says that they, they tell them everything that happened. They would have said, they threatened us. They said, we're going to imprison you. We're going to beat you, kill you. And when they heard this, here's what the Christians did. They raised their voices to prayer, in prayer to God. I love that phrase. They raised their voices in prayer to God. Now, maybe you have a spouse and you're sitting near them. And you've been uh, getting half of this verse right, but missing the most important part. You've been raising your voice at each other about the problem. When in reality, God wants you to join together, raise your voices in prayer to God. I think that would revolutionize marriages in our church and in our city. If couples would join together and raise their voices not at each other, but in prayer to God in a united front with him because prayer changes things. You know, I might not have faith enough for something. I might circle up with you and your faith is great. And my faith jumps on the shoulders of your faith, and then back and forth. My faith is built, your faith is built, back and forth. And before you know it, there's this cumulative effect of faith upon faith upon faith. And we are strengthened, and God does great things. When your faith is weak, especially, join your voice in prayer. I want to tell you about a recent staff prayer time that we had that was very informal, and unplanned, though I believe God had it scripted out for a long, long time. We have a creative arts team here at Union Chapel that plans our weekend experiences, the things that go on in our services. And our creative arts team was meeting with our senior staff just a few short days ago. We circled up for prayer, and we met up at the front of our sanctuary in our other building. We circled up and joined hands in a place where 27 years ago, in 1988, 10 feet away... There was a group of people who circled up for the first time from Union Chapel and said, God, this is an old, damp, rusty, abused car lot showroom. And we want to invite you to use this space to change lives. Well, wouldn't you know it? 27 years ago, that prayer has been answered. But would you know this? That as we circled and God spoke to our team, he said, I'm going to do even greater things in your future than I've done in your past. I'm going to change more lives in your future than in your past. I'm going to set more people free in your future than in your past. And as our team trusted God with this passionate prayer, he spoke to us and he said the best is yet to come. So will you trust God in that? That day we prayed that God would use us. We prayed that God would fill us. We prayed that God would speak to us and direct our path. But listen, we also prayed for you, church. Every one of you. We prayed that God would give you the boldness, that God would give you the passion that he would speak to you. We also prayed for the people who we don't yet even know their names. Because we believe in the next season here at our church that God is going to flood this place with people who have never been here before. Because of your invitations and because of the work that God is doing through this great place called Union Chapel. We are unschooled, ordinary men and women, but God has his hand upon us. And as we raise our voices to God, as Acts 4.24 says, God will hear us and he will meet us in that. And so how are your prayers? Are they passionate? Are they bold? Or are they timid and reserved? What are you praying for? What are you praying for? You know, I'll tell you, church, I hope to never forget the beauty and the passion and the presence of God that met our team just a few short days ago during this prayer time. It was beautiful. It was very powerful. And listen, it reminds me of Acts 4. Here's Peter and John under extraordinary persecution. What do they do? They don't gripe and complain about the problem. They raise their voices to God in prayer. The first two words tell us a lot about their prayer. We'll put them on the screen for you. These are from verse 24. They say, Sovereign Lord. Everybody say, Sovereign. Sovereign. Amazing, you are awake. (laughs) Sovereign basically means, God, you're the man. You are ultimately in charge, and you have the final say always. This is a pretty God-focused prayer, isn't it? It's pretty passionate. They're starting their whole prayer with this massive God focus on him. Now, do you think God needed to be reminded that he's in charge? Nah. I don't think he needed to be reminded of that. But what we see is it's very likely that what they're doing is posturing themselves in a place where they say, God, you are holy, you are worthy, you are sovereign, and we lift this up to you. God, you are supreme over all. And can I just say right here, God is sovereign. He is supreme over all. He has been supreme over all of our steps in the past at Union Chapel, over all of your steps as a Christian. And God will be supreme and sovereign over all of our steps moving forward. And I believe that. God is in charge. He is sovereign. But often in our prayers, we need to start with that. God, you are good. You are sovereign. You are in charge. You will take care of this. You are my rock. Instead of just submitting our laundry list of requests to him, we need to start our passionate prayers with our heart in the right place of worship to this amazing, holy God. There are two passionate prayers that they prayed. They're in your outline. I want you to see them. The first is boldness. And I want to encourage you to pray these as well, to pray for boldness. We see in Acts 49, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak the word with great boldness. And the second passionate prayer is to pray for miracles. Maybe it's been a while since you prayed for a miracle. I'll tell you this. Find yourself in a situation where you need one, and you will pray for one. But God doesn't want us to wait until we need one to ask him to do miracles. He wants us to pray on the behalf of others for great miracles. So pray for boldness and pray for miracles. We see in Acts 4:30, stretch out your hand to heal, perform miraculous signs and wonders. Pretty neat. Pretty great thing. Well, when's the last time you prayed for boldness? When's the last time you prayed for a miracle over your situation or a friend's situation or something that looked very challenging. God, it looks like there is no hope, but you are the God of hope and so do a miracle. Wow. Let's be honest, most of our prayers are actually very self-centered, aren't they? They're timid, they're self-centered. Maybe something like this, God, help me to get an A on that test. I know I didn't study, but please help me to get an A. God, help me to give a good presentation. Help me to land this deal. Help me to get the raise. Help me to get the new car. In Jesus' name, help this pimple on my nose to go away before prom. <laughs> most of our prayers are self Centered. I think we don't pray for boldness because it's usually to the benefit of someone else. Most often, quite often. Boldness isn't for me, it's for someone else. To help someone else know the love of God through Jesus. Church, what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. What have you been praying for over the last 24 hours, over the last week, over the last month? And what's keeping you from changing your selfish? small, timid prayers to bold, passionate prayers for God to unleash what he wants over this generation and over our city and our world. What results would you like to see from these passionate prayers? If they are results that line up with the word of God, listen, God is for you and he wants you to pray with boldness and great passion. Well, the third thing that God wants unleashed in each of our lives are confident words In that blank, write words. God wants to unleash confident words in us. When you look through the scripture over and over in the book of Acts, you're going to see words like this. They spoke the word of God with great boldness, they preached boldly, they were were courageous and confident in their words. You see, these people were not afraid to speak the word of God, they owned it. They weren't trying to be politically correct. They were asking God to give them confident words and boldness to proclaim those great things. And what I want you to take home and and put in your back pocket and live out in your life in the days to come is this, that we speak confidently about what we believe boldly. We speak confidently about what we believe boldly. You can also put the word deeply in there. If you believe it deeply, you will speak it confidently. In the book of Acts, there are so many Verses, so many verses about the New Testament church who had had great belief because they had seen Jesus and they knew he was dead, crucified, dead, and buried, but on the third day he rose again, and that gave them this great boldness, and so they believed that in their hearts with great faith, they had passion, and they believed that deeply in acts nine hundred and twenty eight you see a story of a man named Saul, and if you remember Saul was actually the guy who was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians. Then he has this amazing transformation by God, and God turns his life around, and he does what in Acts 9.28, but he's speaking the word of God boldly. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14.3, it says Paul and Barnabas spent considerable amount of time there. Well, what were they doing there? They weren't just letting their lives be a witness But they were speaking boldly for the Lord. They were confident. We see also in Acts 4, 31, this great verse where the disciples under amazing persecution are filled with the Holy Spirit of God which empowers them to speak with great boldness, to believe boldly and speak boldly. Why? Because we speak boldly About what we believe deeply. We are confident in what we believe deeply. So, back to the story from Acts 4. How bold and confident did Peter and John have to be, not only in their words, but in their great God, to go up to a man who's been crippled for 40 years and say, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk? I mean, they had to be pretty bold and confident, not only in their words. But in the power behind those words, the power of God. Of course, as you know, the Sanhedrin, the religious folks didn't like this because it was, it was threatening their credentials because they were the religious elite. They didn't believe that Jesus had this power because it threatened them. So they keep questioning them. They want to either keep them in prison, they want to lock them up, they want to beat them, they want to kill them. But the problem is there was this guy and he couldn't walk. And then the name of Jesus was spoken, and now he's dancing. And so there was this little issue, because not only did the Sanhedrin religious folks see this, so did the whole city. And so they couldn't just kind of sweep this one under the rug and move on. And that's where I want you to see something really powerful. You see, in verse 16, what we see is the inner dialogue of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. When they're asked this question, what are we going to do with these men? You can imagine their puzzle. What are we going to do with these guys? I mean, what, do you, what do you think? Everyone knows they performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. What would they say? The Bible says they said that they cannot deny it. We don't believe it. We don't understand it. We can't deny it. Don't believe it. Don't understand it, but can't deny it. You ever had something in your life where you didn't understand it, you didn't believe it, but there was no denying it? Maybe a diagnosis, maybe some bad news. There was no denying the situation. Church, I'm coming through a situation like that right now. Back in November, as many of you know, I went to my eye doctor for some routine eye drops. Within 24 hours, I was having an emergency eye surgery for a detached retina. I didn't believe it, didn't understand it, but there was no denying it whatsoever. This was happening. So, right before Thanksgiving, I end up laid up for several weeks. God is beginning to heal my eye and beginning to get my, my sight back at that time. And then things turn again for the worse. The eye begins to go dark. I begin to go blind again. And before Christmas, I get the privilege to have a second eye surgery for a detached retina. I have all kinds of fear, all kinds of worry going through my mind in this. Will, will I ever be able to stand up and preach again? Will I ever be able to read the word of God with my own eyes or will it have to be read to me or will there be some, some distraction when I'm doing that? Will I be able to drive again? Will I be able to engage in sports and, and athletics and all of these things are just racing through my mind because there's no denying it. I don't understand it. I don't believe it. And I'm stuck in the middle of this unplanned halt of everything in my life. And during that season, here's what I can tell you. I didn't understand it. I didn't believe it. But there was no denying the presence of God that met me, comforted me, gave me peace, gave me strength and helped me to get through that and continually helps me to get through that today. What I want you to know is likely there's some area in your life or the life of someone you know where they don't understand it, they don't believe it, they can't deny it. It's happening. But here's what I know, and this is true in my life and in yours as well. Not only do we have these things that we don't understand, don't believe, and can't deny, but we have a God who is faithful to meet us in the middle of our disappointment, in the middle of our challenges, and will bring us great hope no matter what we're facing. If you get nothing out of this today, take that home. God is faithful. He'll meet you. And I can't deny that God's presence met me in a great way, even through this unplanned experience. Let's jump back to Acts 4. In verse 17, the religious leaders said this. They said, we've got to put a stop to this thing. I find it interesting that they use the word thing. What was the thing they were talking about? It's Christianity. It's Jesus. Only they can't even wrap their minds around saying that. They say, but to stop this thing or Christianity from spreading, we've got to warn these people. To do what? To no longer speak because they realize something they couldn't even say the name of Jesus because there's great power in the name of Jesus. There's amazing hope in the name of Jesus. So in the verse 18, they call them in, and they command them. With a, with a command, we know there would be a threat. The threat would be imprisonment, beating, maybe even death. They say not to speak or teach at all in the what? In the name of Jesus because they knew that there was something different about that name. There was something different about the power that was attached to the name of Jesus. Because once there was a man who was crucified and then dead and buried. And then on the third day, he rose again. And once there was a man who sat at a temple gate begging and was crippled for 40 years. And in the name of Jesus, he gets up and walks. So these Sanhedrin religious folk, they're a little worried. But Peter and John say, if you've seen what we've seen, if you've heard what we heard, uh uh-uh, you can't help but speak about the name of Jesus. Because when you've experienced that, when your sins have been forgiven, when you've seen the miracle, when you've been a part of that, when you know that Jesus was dead and now he's alive and he's in you, you can't deny that. And you cannot help but speaking. If you saw the people we were and who we are now, if you saw the sins we were dealing with and the forgiveness and grace that came to us, if you saw the miracles we'd seen and the healing that God has done, you cannot keep yourself quiet. You know something I've learned is the things that you're excited about, you talk about. You know that person that's really excited about fishing or golf or whatever it is, and you're not excited about that at all, but when they come in the room, at, at the office or, or wherever you may be, and they're sharing about this, you can tell they are excited about that thing. Because, because they're excited about it, they're just talking, 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 talking about it. Maybe it's a movie that you like. And if it's a, a guy movie, all the trucks are blowing up, there's fire, people are running, there's all kinds of crazy stuff, and it's awesome. You got to see it, man. Oh, go check this out. If it's a chick flick and you're a chick, you're talking to your little chicklet friend, you're saying, oh, it was just so amazing, it was just great. You got to see this movie, it was just so romantic. He walked in the room and he said, You complete me. Or, You had me at Hello. I know it's an old movie. It's the last chick flick I've seen. It's the last one I'll ever see. <laughs> or maybe you go to a restaurant. You have amazing service, amazing food. The food comes out. It tastes great. Things are awesome. The Calister's Deli. And you tell a friend how amazing this is. You've got to experience this because it's just so good. <laughs> there are some things you just cannot help but talk about because inside you there burns this excitement, this passion And God wants to unleash in you the confident words to share. So here are these guys in Acts, and they're saying this. When you've seen what we've seen, you cannot help but talk about it. When you have experienced what we have experienced, there is no shutting your mouth. When you fully understand that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried... And raised from the dead and appears. There is no denying that. Because that changes everything. So how are your words today? Are they confident? Because I think it's great that we let our lives be a witness. But I think we're called to something greater than that. To have confident words. To be bold. To share with people we know and that we come into contact with about this great God, because we speak confidently about what we believe deeply. Where is your belief this morning? And how does that affect the words that are coming out of your mouth? Church, I believe that as we go through our life and ask God for amazing boldness, and as we step out in faith and pray these passionate prayers, and as we trust God for these confident words, that he will unleash upon every single One of us, a great move of God, very similar to the New Testament Christian church from Acts. And as we live that out, this great boldness, and as it transforms our lives personally, God will unleash a movement all over our city, all over our church, and he will use us to change the world. So where do you need God to unleash these things? What is it in you? Amazing boldness, passionate prayers, or confident words. Or maybe a mix of all three of these things. I trust that before you leave this place today, you'll do business with God and respond to him in the way that he is asking you to. Will you stand up with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story from Acts 4. And it's instruction for us today. And I ask, Lord, that you would meet every single person here today with what they need. I pray you'd give us amazing boldness. Help us to pray passionate prayers and give us confident words. Help us in Jesus' name to respond in the way that we need to. Now, church, I love Acts 4.12. It says, salvation is found in no one else. No one else except by the name of Jesus can you be saved. And maybe you're in this room here this morning by a God appointment because something in this day has grabbed a hold of your heart and you know you need to respond by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and making that commitment. If that describes you and for the first time today you'd like to say yes to Jesus, will you lift your hand all across this room? Just be bold to do that. In every service this weekend, we've had people coming to faith in Jesus. Thank you. There's hands going up around this room. Let's join together even if you didn't pray this prayer. Let's join together with those that did even if you didn't raise your hand and pray this prayer after me together. Say, "Lord Jesus, I need you." Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life to you to receive you as my savior and lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And for giving me eternal life, take control of my life today and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now church, as we sing this closing song, we're going to be here just a few more minutes. I'd ask that you not escape and leave during this time, but actually respond to God in song. The altar's open up front. We have people designated to pray with you if that's your choice as well. Let's respond to God in worship.